Welcome to Sin City with Nick Menezes and Dane McLean. Live chat about everything cinema, from new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you movie lovers. Live for CMRU.ca. And now, to the men behind the mic. Welcome back, MRU. After a week hiatus, we are back with Sin City. Joining us are our boys from Texas, Emmanuel Akinola and Rico T. Allen. Howdy, howdy. Hello. Good to be here. Good yes. to be here. This is Rico's second time appearance, and Emmanuel, this is your tenth appearance on our show. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. It's just, it went by so fast. I'm here all the time, man. <laughs> <laughs> First time uh, you guys have been on together. You guys are, maybe explain to the audience, you guys are like lifelong friends from what I know, right? Since man, childhood. 14 yeah. years, man. Oh, yeah. 14 years. <laughs> 14 years, man. It's crazy. And I'm so glad we stay in touch, man. We stay in touch all the time. And yeah, we went to the same high school. Bar joined high school for careers. Back in the day. Back in the day, man. Oh, my God. Oh, I feel old. I feel old, man. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, we would always talk movies and like talk philosophy, time, philosophy, history, all type of stuff. When we had homeroom together, so we spend like that time just to just to talk, man. I was actually look forward to those conversations. Oh yeah, man, dude. Just I mean, I mean a, a lot advanced, a lot more advanced than uh, a lot of people who were in our age group. Actually, just yes, you know, because everybody else was so, you know, they're kids. But me and Emmanuel used to have these real deep um, philosophical conversations about, you know, whether it be science, movies, um, comic book type type of uh, things. And then our homeroom teacher actually used to. Uh, used to encourage it when people would make fun of us we'd be like we didn't care anyway but she would encourage it yeah she would (laughs) wow so I mean it's really we're looking forward to having you guys here as well just uh, we you Rico already impressed us from the get go from his first appearance Emmanuel you too like wow this is this this reunion is is like written in the stars amazing (laughs) yeah like we're on a yeah I'm glad we're able to do this we're on a proper path we're on a path (laughs) so today we will be discussing a topic we have been planning for so many weeks the films of the wonderful and talented Ryan Coogler who is by far the youngest filmmaker we have covered on this list like wow just can you believe he's he's definitely one of the best filmmakers working today he's made three just three films and in just three films he managed to really amaze everyone and become huge regain huge popularity as well right yeah he's a great filmmaker on me and i just looked up his age he's only 34 right now and it's just amazing how young he is but how talented he is and he's able to really tap into you know, his own experience as a black person, like what it means to be black in this country and, or black in the world. And he's just able to really create these stories that are, that have, yeah, they have the father and son relationship, but it's also about the community. It's also about community of black people, how we how we go through hardship, but how we can bring each other up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely, man. I mean, Ryan Coogler, he's also, you know, a lot of people don't realize he does, um, 
he does supplemental writing for other people as well. Like he may not be credited, but he does supplemental writing for other uh, scripts as well for a lot of other black um, actors, producers, um, directors. He does supplemental writing, which is you know, which also gives him a little more credence for how young he is, because a lot of young directors don't do supplemental writing unless they own purely start off at supplemental, then they break out to their first film like several years later. And I think Ryan went the other way around in this case, you know, because if you ever notice with his directing style, it's just being like like you said, like you said, Emmanuel, being young and being able to channel that that. Like we said, that uh, film, that uh, film without a lo- I mean, without a focus or a lens with focus without a lens, he's able to yeah. tap into that focus without the lens. Like he can see it th- through his eyes, and then him putting the lens on, and then allowing you to go through the journey with him. It's almost like you're sitting with him as a director, viewing this movie with him instead of being a director handing it to you. Exactly. Yeah, and I will. That's exactly how I felt with Who Fell Station. I just love how personal each shot was, like how it really drew you into the Bay Area. Like it's a very personal film. You can get you can get that from yeah. It tells yeah. very personal that film. Mm-hmm. And that is our first film, and we're discussing of his. What better to start this episode than his very first feature film, Fruitvale Station? Let's start with you, Dane. You having watched this film recently, what were your thoughts on Fruitvale Station? Yeah, this was my introduction to Kugler, and uh, probably back in 20, oh, I don't know, 2014 or something, 2015, shortly after it was released. But yeah, uh, going off of what uh, Rico and Emmanuel were saying, I can definitely see it. Uh, I didn't know this until I just kind of researched it right now. He's actually from Oakland, California, I believe, right? Yeah, so yeah. That, this was like his actual, the community he grew up in and uh, his hometown. So that was also the, the setting of the, of the film and also of the real life event, right? So I had no idea about that. I, I didn't know that, but knowing that, that makes so much more sense as far as telling a local story that he probably would have been very affected by, of course. So uh, yeah, this, this film was amazing. I remember seeing it and, and immediately thinking it would be one of the best films of 2013, kind of in retrospect because I watched it after 2013, but definitely one of the best films of the year. Mm, yeah, definitely. Absolutely, yeah, like, yeah it, it gives you that collateral feel. If you ever, like, you know, if you ever yeah. uh, remember the film Collateral, uh, the real gorilla style that it looks like, it's the cinematography itself is not like Collateral, but the angle work of how he showed the emotions of everybody in certain instances, like for, like when they were on the train after the party, you know how you know how it's just showing friends just interacting with each other, and mm-hmm. like just it, like, it's like that calm before the storm, the before storm, mm-hmm. and it's like that. Oh man, that was a good day, and and it's just showing you the like the most visceral reactions of everyone in that moment, and not every filmmaker can get that. You know, a lot of times it's like real bad edits and cuts, but. I think one thing Ryan has um, been able—he's been really good at doing—is holding uh, to his to the to the character, not to the actor, but to the character. Yeah, yeah, and I really enjoyed the handheld. Uh the handheld camera work, I felt that really accentuated the film as like, yeah, it can border that line between being a documentary, but it's it's still cinematic. It still has a almost nice scope to it, and I really liked that it was in sixteen millimeter. I like how. You see, you see, like the grain on the image, and how like it adds more realism and grittiness to it. That's what 16 millimeter is used for, and yeah, he really used that to perfection. And I just love the the, the nice medium shots and like 
he's so immersive. Like it's it's very intimate how he does his shots too. There's, there's not like these. There's not too many long shots and whatnot, but there's more. There's more or less like medium shots and some close-ups. But it all comes from a place of being personal and. Yeah, it's just a very, very well shot film. Mm -hmm. And that right there is one of the underlying themes in all of Ryan Coogler's films, that it's personal, the, the intimacy, the pathos in his films, because Fruitvale Station, it's more a day in the life, a day in the life of this person, of Oscar Grant, played by Michael B. Jordan. Like, it's a very... Like, even though we all knew what was going to happen, since it, it shows in the summary and at the very beginning, it doesn't make it all the more, it makes it more tragic, more hard to watch. Just watching, it's a very, like, a very normal, mundane day. You know, he's going to work, getting ready for his mother's birthday, and just spending quality time with his family. And all the while, you just get really tense as we know what's going to happen, the inevitable tragedy of this man. Yeah. yeah, that's what Kugler was going for. Like, he was a grad student at the time at UC, USC, and he really wanted to. He knew about the story of Oscar Grant, so he wanted to make a story about him. And so I like how the story humanized him. You know, a lot of times when we see, you know, these black people or people getting killed, you know, we just see them as a person getting killed or another statistic. Mm -hmm. But in this film, you actually get to humanize. No, he was he was still a person. Like, yeah, he, he was killed, but. He still had a life. He still had. He was still a human being. He still had his own struggles, his own angels and demons. And I love how the film was was showcasing that. Instead of you know, people always thinking they don't really, they don't really think further than what they see on the news, but that there was an actual person behind that. And I love how the film did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and also if there's one thing that we all should give credit to Ryan Coogler for is he really has quite the talent in creating, crafting characters, like making us f fill in their shoes and sympathize with them, like from the a good establishing character moment from Oscar, like when he's at the grocery store and he helps this, like this young white woman, you know, with the, find the correct ingredients for this dish she's making for New Year's Eve. It really shows that he is, he's a really kind, gentle soul. Really, it really helped us love this character and really sympathize with him every step of the way. So kudos to Ryan Coogler for that. Yeah, in a way he's kind of going against I don't know if this is the intention, but it's kind of going against the stereotypes, you know, like, you know, when black people on the news are always seen as aggressive or, you know, you know, doing starting crime or whatever. But like, you're, again, this film is just about humanizing him and just like he's just a regular person like any one of us. We are, and black people in general, we all have our faults, but we're still people. <laughs> exactly. That's what I love about his films. Very true. I mean, being able to humanize the, um, the black experience is always key to any any filmmaker who attempts to a lot of times you know it, it's difficult for non-black filmmakers to actually humanize black characters because most of the time we're caricatures of like we're caricatures of caricatures if that makes any sense in film it's always that the um if you guys have heard the trope the old mystical negro the magical mystical negro uh we're there to help white people solve their problems and then we go on about our way in fairy dust and uh, a movie that that uh, highlights that just that perspective right there is a song of the south uh you know a happy joyous black man who is downtrodden and everything he's teaching this little white kid about being happy with 
his situation because he's gonna, you know, he, he's okay. But being able to humanize us in a, in a, in a direction that most, most like only a black filmmaker would have that nuance. You know, exactly. it's this third level of nuance that goes into that. That, and I'm not saying that that makes it where oh, uh, somebody who is not black wouldn't understand. But the nuance within it is what's going to allow you to understand even better. Because then you can, it's certain little things you might be like, well, why, why did they do that? And if somebody might be like, oh, it, 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 I had to explain it to you. But that, but the explanation within that nuance is what humanizes us because you start asking those questions and then a black friend will be like, oh yeah, yeah, we do this and this and that. You know, it, it's, it's, it's what starts the conversation to get the ball rolling even more so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it adds authenticity, yeah. Yes, as yes, well. yes. Yeah, I can kind of see a parallel too maybe between that and uh, directors, uh, filmmakers shooting in other countries, sort of, uh, you know, maybe some North American film being shot in another country, another part of the world, and how it, it can be probably, it could be authentic to that culture's experience, but I don't think you could ever beat actually having someone from that area telling that story, right? Or at least working side by side with the director as being like a co-director producer. So I think you need that like that real world firsthand experience to tell a story accurately, at least to really resonate with people, I think. Yeah, not following the same stereotypes and caricatures of people. I think that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah, because because David Ayer had to do the same thing when he did Training Day. A lot of people don't know mm-hmm. that um, when he shot in that neighborhood, that gang affiliated neighborhood, he had to go link up with some some guys that knew those guys. Uh, Bone, who's a you no, know, he's real bona fide street guy. Yeah. But the thing is, David Ayer had to, you know, what do you say, uh, pay tribute. Before he can just come in there just shooting all willy nilly because I think, I think it was Antoine Fuqua that, that yeah, directed. yeah yeah well yeah that's why Fuqua still he, I know he yeah. directed it but David Ayer wanted to go down there and shoot and he was like whoa 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 we we got to set up a line of um yeah a, a, a line of communication you can't just go because David Ayer just wanted to go down there and shoot and say you know oh man we're we're still shooting we got a permit I'm like but you're still dealing with something that's very real so you know just like. Just like Nain um, made the made the comment about you know dealing with a community or a country who understands that perspective, you know being side by side. David Ayer, he would have went down there just shooting all willy nilly. Once again, not humanizing the characters. Yeah. E- even Jake to a certain extent, you know, by proxy of being tied to, tied to Alonzo in in that instance. But yeah, like you said, you know, um, just getting back to Ryan being able to humanize us being able to be buried to the well these these uh boots on the ground when it comes to being able to understand the plight of the people who are from these communities mm-hmm. exactly yeah. very true yeah like and also like even there's even good use of even if we knew what was the foregone conclusion there was even a brief hint of foreshadowing if you could call it that like while he is getting gasoline for his car and then there's this dog that is you know that suddenly just ran over like it's in this case oscar is in essence the dog like both are innocent victims just innocent random victims of a random act of violence that accidental or not still should be seen as a tragedy really like like the tagline of this film is that the close the closer you are you go you are driven to the edge and i think it's just 
this is not a very easy film to watch, that's for sure, but it really is a good one to be to be studied and analyzed for today's divided times. Right. Yeah, it should be it should be analyzed because it's a there's so much in terms of the shot design and symbolism. There's so much to gain from it. So much. It's kind of like um, the, I view the film as a celebration of life because yeah, it can be depressing because you know you know this guy's gonna die, but as you see him, you can see him affirm life in some cases because like he, he was in a hard situation because financially, because he lost his job, but he chose not to go back to selling weed. And so that was just a very good, like, presentation of his character. Like, he's, he wants to do, he wants to do something better for himself. And so you're seeing how, man, like, if, his, if he had lived, if he had continued, he would have turned his life around completely. Like, he would have been, uh, he was still on that path of being a good person. He's still a good person, but he still would have been more committed. Like, and he was just sad that he wasn't given that chance. But I like how those, the film showed that instance, like where things could have been different, where, you know, he was, even though he was, he was taken away from us, he was on the right path or he was going to do something different rather than just being the same, I'm going to sell drugs, that type of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And even though, even though Oscar Grant's death was really, uh, should be seen as a downer ending which it is it it has a bit of a bittersweet feel to it because even though he died his death inspired others to rise up and take action against th this form of police brutality and racial injustice which is still occurring even today which i really love how they added that layer to to the, the fallout from yeah. oscar's death yeah this this death inspired a black lives matter movement and which is an important movement um because it's not it's not saying that other lives don't matter. It's just putting a spotlight on how historically, you know, black lives and the just criminal justice system, criminal justice system have just not been giving enough uh, attention and, and help. Like we're we're always at the bottom of the totem pole in the sense of getting justice and and due process. So yeah, this film is very important in the sense of showing how showing the life of Oscar, but still. Um, showing the importance of that movement and how, you know, black lives do matter in, the, in that sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Always. And, Absolutely. yeah, like, also, having watched this film with uh, my, my mom, the, the, the ending especially, like, it really becomes harsher in hindsight because, you know, with the, the whole black, the whole Black Lives Matter or and the, the, George, the whole George Floyd incident, it feels like, you know, a repeat of his, like, history was repeating itself during the, the incident at Fruitvale Station. Oh, yeah, I mean, man, um, what people forget about um, Fruitvale Station is that Oscar Grant's um, death happened in 2009. When we we were in ninth grade, no, no, we were in um, I think tenth, tenth, tenth grade. Yeah. So the thing about that is that we didn't hear about it. We uh, we we didn't hear about it. We didn't know anything about it. That there was no mass coverage, and this is when social media really was like right at its cusp, right when it was starting to become more, like more news was starting to get shared among social media. By the time the movie came out, um, Trayvon Martin had happened. And then that was the 
start of us noticing, you know, of, of us paying attention to these high profile shootings and cases out. And you gotta and you gotta give Fruitville Station credit for being able to, because I think when it came out, people were like, wait a minute, they said there, there are more cases out right now that that happened, and I think that's what started waking a lot of people up. Like, wait, 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 this is consistent. This is not, you know, this isn't a um, this this isn't in a happening in a vacuum. This is actually systemic. It's happening consistently. And then a lot of people who were who have been talking about this for years and years were like, "Yeah, we've been saying it, but the media did not capture it." And, and you know, the media it, it it always takes that one little spark. It always takes that one little spark to kind of blow it up. And once once Fruitville Station blew up, I remember I went to see it with my church group at the time. And um, we all came out. We all came out like just kind of bothered. Now it wasn't. We weren't just. Um, we we weren't just like. Oh, that was a good movie. All of us. We were all quiet. I'm talking about. We 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 all came out just quiet, and we were just like, what did we just watch? Like, we know it's a movie, but that really happened. Exactly. Like, you, you know, it's like, like, was that a snuff film? Like, you know, you, you start asking stuff like that and then your irrationality of why would they do that? And then you're like, wait a minute. He's black. Why wouldn't they do it? You know, so it, 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 it kind of it hits you in a place where you're like, oh, my God, that can be me at any given moment. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, it, I, I guess that was the moment, it, you know, anybody who was cognizant of everything going on that really set the tone of saying oh well Jesus Christ this could be me any day it, it took away the veneer that that good that good old American veneer gone yeah. there, is no, there is no glamour to it anymore definitely it's cool. and Ryan did it unapologetically as well mm-hmm. yeah he showed everything I mean even though when I was researching like some of the events I mean the events in a film were taken exactly from what actually happened. First and like, couch. like um, my whole thought was, this is a misconception I had. I thought like he was shot while he was running away. I didn't know that they had him on the ground and they shot him in the back. I was shocked. I was like, what? That's completely, that's completely like suspect. Cause that's just like, and then the, the officer was saying he mistaked his gun for a taser. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. It made no sense. Uh, that just happened. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to be funny, but that just recently happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, it's like a tra- It's like a, it's like a tragic comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, um, if you've ever, if you've ever, um, I think it's the Great Pretender. Like, not, not, um, not, not the actual movie, but the, um, I think it comes from a poet or a poem or something. But the idea of like a tragic comedy, like, like wow, this is this is this is funny because it's not really funny, and yeah. it, it's like I think the irony of it is just like the, the, the jokes write themselves basically. Like, yeah, I, I mistaken my 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 taser my uh, my my gun for a taser, and then this happened. The, the, the incident happened a few week couple weeks ago, and you're like, holy hell. <laughs> and I'm not trying to like I'm not trying to make light of it but it's like the irony it's just irony yeah, yeah it's, like it's, it's getting old I think that's your point is this is getting old it's like it's the same old excuse 
where it's like, how can that happen? And it's like, mm. you're a police officer, for goodness sake. You're supposed to be good at your job, right? Yeah. <laughs> Idiots. Idiots, yeah. Oh, exactly. It's just it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's just this, the cycle of it is just ridiculous how it's just, do they even learn from, like, do police learn from these mistakes constantly? It's just, it doesn't seem like there's that register in their, in their minds, I guess, and I just don't get it. But clearly, uh, there's always those films that just need to just, just expose the ugliness of society's woes and just, like, not shy away from it. And I think that, um, I haven't seen the film fully, but I know Denis Villeneuve's uh, Polytechnique might be a film that did this kind of in a similar way of just showing gun violence and, um, in this case, misogyny and the, and the real life event of it happening in Canada and just, um, just, just not trying to fictionalize it or shy away from the ugly truth, but just make it as close to reality as possible, right? And, I mean, film is sort of a way to escape, but it's also a way for us to to learn and to empathize with others and to realize the problems we're facing. I think that's one of the most important parts of a film, in my opinion. So, that's, uh, yeah, films mm-hmm. films that need to keep um, keep coming out. I think that tackle these real life events because it's easy to ignore them if you if you're not able to see it for what it was, right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And it was at the same time the the whole existence of Fruitvale Station. I think I think it was really respectful and heartwarming for Ryan Coogler to make a film about Oscar Grant. Because Oscar Grant, he's not you know like a high profile like black individual like say Medgar Evers or Fred Hampton, Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. He's just like us, he's a citizen with a life, with a family and a day-to-day job and just an ordinary man and who managed to, whose death managed to create something truly extraordinary for all citizens. Yeah, he was, it's a, he's a guy that, it's a film that uses death as a, as a rallying point, as a sense of using, again, like I said, it's a celebration of his life. I think it's a celebration of his life. And so it's like, how can we use this tragedy to, to bring us up as black people or to bring us up as a community? And I feel like that's what the film is really good at, is addressing like the tragedy, is addressing what happened so that there could be further change and preventing that from happening in the future. So that we can stop, you know, so that we don't become numb to it or we don't become like, oh, this just happens and whatever, but like, we can actually enact change. And I feel like that's what the film is, is there for. Oh. Absolutely, yeah. Now we move on to, and that was also Ryan Coogler. It was his first film. He was like in his late twenties when he did that, and it's just impressive, yeah. really. Yeah. You know? yeah, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really worked with the family too. He worked with the uh, oh, really? the lawyer, the lawyer that represented him. I think they knew each other from a mutual friend, and then. He worked with with Grant's family to make sure, I guess, the film was accurate and things like that. So, so yeah, that's really good. He did that. Mm-hmm. He that. And after this, he just got started, and he would then follow up the success with two years later with Creed. Like, 
Oh my god, I I loved Creed. Like, I can't believe I I didn't watch this movie when it first came out. Like, when when it first came out, many people were not very enthusiastic because you know people thought, eh, what for? The Rocky franchise already ended perfectly with Rocky Balboa, but Creed really proved them wrong. This, wow, oh my god, let's. Holy shit, <laughs> like this movie is it was epic, let's say it's like what what let's start with you guys. What did you guys think of uh Creed? Oh I loved it. I mean it was yeah, the it was different uh directorially wise, like how he set up the shots, more steady, more um operatic in a way and it's just man, it was just so well shot. I mean the lighting was wasn't too much. It was right, just right in the right circumstances. A lot of natural light and um, and just a, just a lot of steady, a lot of long takes, to some mm-hmm. extended shots, especially on the fight scenes, and which it really immerses you into the, the the atmosphere and everything. And I just love the um, the the color palette. It wasn't too bright. It was just it was just right. It wasn't too much in your face. It was just more of a subdued color palette which is nice mm-hmm. and yeah i just loved the way it looked and the acting was great everything about it was great <laughs> absolutely I, I think uh the movie actually man uh man you're right i mean and and the flow uh, the camera flow was so well done in the movie like just just how like like you said just like just the, the 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 lighting and how and how the camera camera angles were set up in it just everything that um Ryan really took to make because I think Creed really is what if Apollo Creed actually got his own movie and they modernized it and put a put and put because in, in my in my in, in my opinion I think this is them giving Apollo Creed his due justice because um you know he 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 died tragically in in, in film obviously but I think also. Um, it it it, give, it gives no pun intended good credence to um, Apollo's story extended through his son, who was also a love child as well. So it's kind of like, you know, you're you're this bastard child of this great boxer, but you want to make a name for yourself. But then at the same time, because I remember Nick asking me, should I should I watch you know Rocky, for I think it was uh, for to get the understand Apollo. I said you can. But yeah. I think it still stands good by itself, even if you hadn't watched any Rocky movies before it. I think, like, even if you know about Rocky secondhand, which everybody does, once you see Stallone as Rocky in the movie, you're like, oh, okay, this is this is Apollo Creed, and then you understand the fight between him and Apollo Creed. They they kind of they explain it in the movie, so you really you can go in this fresh, and it's a great movie by itself without the Rocky story attached to it. Because I found out that they wanted Ryan to attach the Rocky story to it later, like him getting cancer, that was something that was added later in development. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. And I like how the film, it, it stays with the roots, the roots of the Rocky films. The Rocky films, I, I remember watching them when I was a kid, but I only remember maybe the first two. I think I watched all four, but I only remember like the first two. And I think you only need to see like the first two to really get the movie, but, because Apollo Creed was in those, but, what I really like about this film and those films too is that, yeah, it's a boxing film, but it's about the boxer. It's about the character drama. It's about the struggles that the boxer goes through. Exactly. And that's what makes it a better film because once you see him in the ring, you're rooting for him. 
you're like, yeah, I want this guy to win because like he's been through all this shit, <laughs> he's been through all this crap before. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I love how the film continued that, and how like it wasn't just about the boxing or, you know, it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just a Michael B. Jordan vehicle film. It was it was still a good film on its own that happens to have Michael B. Jordan in it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. In fact, there's only I noticed there's only two uh, boxing matches in the whole film: the, the fight between Creed and Leo, and the final one with Pretty Ricky Conlon. It's more. It's all about the pathos, really. Like I noticed how Adonis and Rocky's stories, especially in the first Rocky, it's, they parallel each other. Both are just. They're just individuals who are trying to prove that they are more than what they are. Rocky wants to prove that he's more than just, you know, an un, uh, an underdog and Adonis wants to prove he is more than just his father's name. Like it really that's a really that's what really endeared the film to appeal why the movie appealed to me. It's more about making a name for yourself like you it's so all right to love your family and your friends but and your culture as well but also who you are should not always be defined by your name it's what you choose to be you decide what your fate what your whole life should be not by your it's all a choice not an action it's really inspiring yeah the film is about legacy it's about what do you leave behind or making your own legacy and like and i think that's what ties rocky and adonis together Because Rocky, you know, he says in the film, like, my past is behind me, man. But, uh, but Adonis is, Adonis represents the future. He represents, you know, the future of the boxing um, name or, or that the, the division of lightweight, heavyweight championship. So it's, it's like, it's like passing on the torch, but also, you know, realizing that you do, you will leave behind something good. Like Rocky will. I think he will leave behind a good legacy because of what he's doing. And, and also, I think yeah. to add to that is him passing the torch for his friend, his, his, his you know, for his, his late friend. Because you got to think about it. Um, the rivalry between um, uh, between Apollo and Rocky wasn't just like, oh, I don't like you. It was really like a mutual respect for like blow for blow. And that's why when he was like, so who won the fight? He did, and they have been speculating for years that Rocky lost because I think Apollo won. No, he lost the official fight because you know they always they they, they uh, I think from what I understand they favored Rocky as the underdog in the in the film, but essentially he was like yeah he won because he was the more skilled boxer, and seeing that when Dra when Drago took him out and he's like I got I got to redeem my friend, but then finding out he has a child. And he's like, I gotta double redeem him. So this is a this is a plane twice over that you gotta carry a torch. Like this is not just a torch you're carrying. This is a legacy torch you're carrying on the behalf of somebody who couldn't even claim his child. You know, because he died too early to even do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And first off, um, when you mentioned Rico, it's also between the relationship between Apollo and Rocky. It's truth in, in television because there are plenty of other wrestlers out there, professional wrestlers who are rivals with each other, but are actually good good friends. Like say oh, Dwayne yeah. Johnson and Mick Foley. And oh yeah, like you can go down the list. I mean, Kurt Angle. Uh, who else? Uh, 
Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, mm-hmm. they, yeah, they, they in the in the ring they're supposed to be you know hate each other, but they really respect each other. That's right. Yeah, and it's for entertainment purposes, but like yeah, it's always right. about who's going to be the heel this who's going to be the heel this year. Yeah, but they all really expect each other because I mean, let's face it, they're all really good wrestlers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's ridiculous how good they are. So, I mean, you can just go on a list of how many rivals. I mean. Big Show, and he's going down the list. But um, I mean, Hulk Hogan and Macho Macho Man. Come on, man, that, that's like <laughs> the most epic one right there. <laughs> By the way, Macho Man is my favorite wrestler of all time. Ooh. He's great. And and second of all, on the whole theme of legacy, another that's another huge strength of Creed. I really like. We all love Rocky Malboa, but at the same time, I really love how they they put him to good use in the film without him overshadowing Adonis because this this is Creed like this is Adonis's story not Rocky's because his story is already done he like he's retired now his fighting days are way behind him at this point yeah but in a way he always he almost serves as a surrogate father like another father to him even though Adonis calls him unk (laughs) affectionately calls him unk but like you could tell, and this is why Ryan Coogler. I think that's this. I think this is why he got um, Black Panthers because he really knows mm-hmm. how to do the father-son dynamic relationship mm-hmm. really well. Absolutely. Because yeah. um, I think his, I think Ryan's father died uh, some years ago, so oh. that was hard on him. Mm-hmm. So I think he did this film to kind of, you know, get closure from that, from his father dying. It's really I forgot which disease it was. I, I think it was a neuromuscular disease or something. Oh, but um. But yeah, it's just a great how this film, the whole heart of the, the whole heart of the film is that relationship between Rocky and Adonis, and how Adonis needed that father figure in his life to kind of point him in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's also true because Creed or for that case the Rocky movies, like it is yes a boxing film, but fights are not always in here, but also in here, and also in here because that is what Creed's story is like fighting for to get closure to prove that to prove himself to show that he is more than just his name to prove he is his own man his own person which i'm sure we can all relate to that trying to be our own individual it's really it's a really beautiful film a lot of respect yeah, for this like, like Manuel said, very operatic with, mm-hmm. um, with the storytelling. Because um, one thing I did like was that um, he made Philadelphia a, a character. Like, if you ever notice anything about Ryan Coogler, with with his, 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 as short as his filmography is, he knows how to make the environment the character as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, exactly. Because uh, juxtapose the first Rocky movie when he's running through Philly, he's running up the Grand. I think it's the um, it's the congressional steps or the library, the steps of the library when he's running up that that infamous scene. When when Adonis is doing it, you see he's running through um, North Philly, which you know most of the people who bike over there, they do the biking and four wheeling over there. They're following around. They're like, oh yo, that's yo, that's a that's a, a Apollo's son. And it's the same thing as when the kids were running behind Rocky. You know, it's the Italian stallion. And then now you got you got a, you got Adonis, you know the, the the next legacy, the next generation of of Creed coming in coming in to do the same thing. But they mirrored that very well of showing you the ju- the juxtaposition of you know the Italian upbringing during the during like the seventies versus the black upbringing in the in the two thousands. And I think they they juxtapose that just well enough for you to be like, oh okay, I, I see the parallels. 
very and, and like you said, without overshadowing Adonis' story, like they 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 like he was able to use the environment because he has a conversation with um what's her name Nessa? I've got his uh, girlfriend's name. Uh, Bianca. Uh, Bianca. Huh? Bianca. Bianca. He said everything's a joint. What's it? This is a joint. That's a joint. And me understanding um uh different urban vernacular, I already knew what that meant. But he him being from somewhere else. And she kind of giving him that insight once again. Nuance, that little nuance right there. It's 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 a character within itself. Like just the environment of Philly. That's something that you only get in Philly. Like I got friends that are from Philly, and they like, oh yo yo, pass me that John, son. And you like John, get one next to you. And then you you go like, okay, this right here, you know, or it's it's yo, this is the John that I understood it as soon as I heard it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Like, there was something funny that um, Ryan Ryan Coogler said when he was, and you're right that he does make the environment the character because, like, if you look at not to not to jump into too quick, but if you look at Black Panther, how they presented Wakanda, mm-hmm. yeah, making food and stuff. And Ryan Coogler was like, yeah, you gotta have you gotta have where they make food so you know that it's actually there. Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, if you've ever been to any bazaar. Like, especially, like, here, like, the African street fairs that we, they used to have back in the day. Um, you know, COVID, they, they not, they're not having them anymore right now. But, like, if you go, go on the southwest side of Houston, the African street fairs, you're going to get food from everywhere across the diaspora. Even even the, the Caribbean. And then they got homemade food. Like, oh, my God. It's, <laughs> so, like, when you watch Black Panther, when he's walking through the bazaar, through the streets, that is very much real. Because we, yeah. we, we, we've experienced it here. Definitely. That's so cool to hear. Yeah, like I know with the original Rocky, like Philadelphia, you can't you can't separate the two. I think like when people think about uh, the city, I've I've been there once when I was uh, like twelve years old. My dad and I we went to uh, hockey and basketball game, and it was just like the only thing that I could think about watching Rocky afterwards was just like remembering these places in Philadelphia because it is so they're just so like intertwined this this the story and the setting. And uh, yeah, I, I love films that can really tell um, a location story and make it accurate with the nuances and everything. So that's, that's so interesting here because I haven't seen Creed fully, but now I'm really interested to to enjoy it for that reason too. See the, the city and the, the character of the, the city itself. Oh, you'll like it, Dan. You'll like it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks great. Looks great. And you get to see it through a different lens as well. Mm-hmm. One. Exactly one scene that really resonated with me like one i i had to to continue the how creed's journey parallels rockies like one thing i had to replay because it was just so damn epic is towards the final round where he finally gets up and you hear the classic rocky theme as well as a mixture of creed of adonis's theme it's it's like this is his journey coming full circle. He's channeling both his father and Rocky, who is his surrogate father slash uncle, or Anga as he calls him. Like, it's so I almost like wow, it's, it's the the feels, the feels. I yeah, can't. and it was so well deserved because like he was at his lowest point. Like I guess if you're looking at the structure structure of the movie in terms of like the third act and things like that, he's at the lowest point where you know. And he needs to rise himself up, and that's when you put in the Rockies name. Was like, oh yes, like he's gonna get through. He's gonna he's gonna show this guy what's up. <laughs> and, and, and the whole movie is actually the fight. Like his story is the real fight. The fight at the end is really just 
he's he he's he fought to get to that fight at the end. Like you know, he like to get to that 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 theme music. Like you don't just get the you don't just get Eye of the Tiger just because you have to earn it. <laughs> right? And, yeah. And I think and I think that's what his whole journey is like. It really is like almost like a, a classic Grecian hero's journey, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. You know, you don't make the Olympics, Elysium, or Valhalla by being weak. You have to go through the hero's journey in order to make it to the trumpets and the gates and in the crowd shouting you gotta you gotta make it there and you gotta yeah. fight to get there yeah. and it's so interesting that they put like greek references in there with the delphi gem and like <laughs> and his name's and, adonis and uh, yeah. well, apollo is it yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and isn't philadelphia too like the name itself i think is is a greek name i think it literally right. means brotherly love like right. uh, yeah uh, i think it's uh philos or philos yeah uh, Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Ah, that's really clever. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Symbolism. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> Same type of people, I think. Yeah. Wow. And at the same time, also, like, part of what really endeared Creed to me, again, is the theme of forging your own path, your own identity, which is something I can relate to because. Growing up in Argentina, I was, you know, you know how it's the national sport is, is soccer, basically, and it was expected, like, for many of them to be interested in the sport. But to me, as a person, I w- I found myself not intrigued with it. Like, I found a much a different interest, which is, as you know, cinema and every and my family they were totally okay with that from the very beginning. They said that, and I realized that it's you need to forge your own identity. Your country shouldn't, your culture shouldn't be the answer to who you are. Who you are is defined by your own choices. And I feel that Creed really reflected that important message to me and to all of us, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, in a way, uh, Adonis is going through the same thing, you know, like, even though even though his um, adopted mother or stepmother didn't want him to go that route, he chose it because he, that was the only thing he, he enjoyed doing, or that's what he could see himself doing. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that, you know, with, with your case, Nick, how some people go through what you're going through, too, where it's like they're, they're expected to do something else, but really they want to do something that's more passionate for them that they really want to do. Yeah. And so it's almost about him constructing or finding that identity as a boxer, too. Because mm-hmm. yeah. he, he kind of doubted it um, a little bit when he, when, you know, when he got into the fight. With the with the rapper and he was like, um, I, I forgot what he said to him. He was like, "Ain't you a Don? Ain't you a Donis or something?" He said something. Yeah, he, he said, said like, "Baby Creed, Baby Creed." Yeah, and he didn't like that because it's like, no, I'm I'm Adonis Creed. I'm not Baby Creed. You know, like, and, and I get that. You know, because uh, being being that you know, I deal with you know that whole the identity thing. You know, with uh, being a, a musician, like mu- mu- music runs in my family, man. That's just what it is, and. I, you know, I, I boxed. I, you know, I've, I've done, I've done, um, I've done, I've done a little bit of everything. I boxed. I played football. I played basketball. I'm, and none of those things added up to music. None of them. Even when my family was like, "Oh, you should go out there and you know, you should, you should be a big brute." But then my father, him being a big guy but still being an intellectual, told me, "Hey, you know, you need to aspire to be intelligent because people already see your size. They're already intimidated." But intimidate them even further by letting them know that you can outthink them as well. So that tied into the music because, you know, that allowed me to say, okay, well, let me think about how I do this music. Because you can't tackle 
music notes. You can't you can't dribble around um, uh, music. You can give a feeling of it, but you can't do physical things with music. But music mm-hmm. can be applied to to physical things and these different emotions. So that whole thing of, of finding your actual identity, uh, trust me, I, I know. And seeing Adonis go through that whole spectrum of, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm a box, I'm a box. And then he's at his lowest point, like, man, I ain't worth it. You know, my, my woman left me, you know, my aunt dying, man. This, You know, every, like the, the family you build is starting to, it feels like it's crumbling, but you still got to take accountability. Once he took accountability, and got and and picked his head up, you know. He realized, okay, this is what I really want. I can't let it get taken from me because the dude who called him Baby Cree knew he didn't like that. He he already knew it. So the thing about it is, letting small insignificant people take away the more key things of your destiny is the last thing you need to let happen in your life. And I think and I think Adonis understood that. Like like I said, him coming to that that precipice and realizing oh wait this is really what i want you know sometimes it's like you to get knocked down to you know get knocked down real low in the dirt and then you look up and you're like wait that's exactly what i want because it, it, it doesn't happen for everybody like that some people get knocked down and they quit instantly because yeah. they feel like it's out of the realm of, 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 of ascertaining anymore they can't do it anymore but adonis you felt because once he gets to it and he gets his hands wrapped up, and he and that music plays. You feel it for him. You're like, yeah, yeah, we right here with you. And and I think that's the, that's a beautiful. Um, it's it's not serendipitous, honestly. Yeah, I agree. Oh yeah. If, uh, if I'm not mistaken, too, I think Ryan Coogler. Um, speaking of just trying to salt, like figure out your own identity for yourself, I think Ryan Coogler. He played football growing up or up until maybe university or something and then I think he majored in like finance or something totally unrelated to film but was sort of doing film outside of these two other focuses I guess so it's sort of that's an interesting parallel of maybe his own life how he kind of was trying to find his identity probably uh, felt maybe pressured from I don't know family or society to do one thing but had that passion that eventually broke through I guess that might be Relatable for him, I, I, I imagine. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. And one of the probably one of the most important shots in the entire film would have to be the scene where Rocky is training Creed and to punch in front of the mirror, rather his own reflection, because that is basically what Creed's story or Adonis' story is. He is a fight between himself with his inner demons, you know, struggling with his parental abandonment and also trying to fight his his temper because he is hot, hot-blooded. Like, he is... Like, notice how this attention to detail in his the first scene when his mother finds him, like, he has his fist clenched the whole time, but when she approaches him and starts to understand him, he is... He, he just let... He opens up his fist and it's more... He's more calm, more at peace. That is what... Adonis' story is fighting to, for redemption to be better than what he is. It's really, it's a very touching film. It's more, it's more than just wrestling or boxing. It's all about the heart. Yeah, um, almost, almost um, reminds you of um, a mixture of Perseus and Hercules. Mm-hmm. If you understand um, Greek myth, like you know, I, I enjoy um, look, you know, 
uh, reading up on old legends. If you know about Hercules, his original name is Heracles. Mm-hmm. Zeus named him <laughs> after Hera because he he was a philander, which essentially is kind of messed up. That Adonis' story mirrors that a lot because he had to go through those trials. But um, think of it in a sense that a queen mother comes and picks up a child that does not belong to her, but needs needs a home. And if and in the in the home he needs is from your late husband because he stepped out, right? So imagine you know, and, and just thinking about him being named Adonis, like we we're talking about the Greek parallels, it is very much a hero story. Like I said, it's a hero story, but then it even parallels that story of Hercules and then also if Hera was not so mean, mm-hmm. took him in and actually told him, "Look, your strength—you're not your father. You—I don't want you to fight. Don't go do godly things." And he's like, "But it's in my blood. I can't help it. I want it." Uh, nah, you need to go to school. Go, you know, you put on a goofy tie, get go fake and go to school. You can go put on a tunic and go fishing, but then you secretly got your—you got your um. You got you got your uh, spear and your sword and your shield ready to go do some battle, which is effectively what he did. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and I, I mean, I, it's just that parallel by itself. I like it, it's a real humanizing story because you talk about story of Greek myths and things of that sort. These stories of great pe- of these great gods and these demigods doing wondrous things, right, are very human stories about tri- being triumphant triumphant over anything that that comes over you so his 12 labors in the film is literally going through grief loss and acceptance consistently because it's not just he goes through grief loss and acceptance yeah i know it's several more steps but he has to keep doing it consistently because when everything's going good you know uh rocky gets sick oh okay we got to get you back up and everything's going back good. Rocky's getting healthy. This girl leaves him. Oh, damn. Okay, we got to get you. You know, we got to, you know, okay, we got to get past this. Then somebody trying to question your manhood. Oh, now we got to get past this. We got He has to lose several times before he realizes he's already won. Exactly. Several yeah. times. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes the story better, too, mm-hmm. with the struggle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sometimes when we hit our lowest point, we are open to the greatest change. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Uh, it reminds me of something I was reading just recently about how um, kind of a lot of artists, uh, musicians, they kind of make their best work on average kind of around the age of 30 usually, and maybe after some sort of like major event in their life, like some loss or some you know could be relationship problems, it could be some issues within their own career as a musician or with their band or whatever so it's, it's interesting i don't i don't know what what age the character is um what what is creed's age in this but i would guess yeah i'm guessing late 20s 30s late 20s yeah because yeah. it seems seems to be as far as in, in real life that kind of seems like that's the age where you do kind of you might find yourself or you you get past sort of those past uh uh, the, the things that held you back in your 20s, I think, sort of that that prime of your life it's in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, well, I, think that, I think that's the age you're established truly as an adult. Because mm-hmm. it's the age where you're no longer looked at as a 20-year-old who's unsure. You're not looked at as a, 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 a 
18 year old who is just legally an adult and you're no longer a teenager aspiring to be an adult you're truly stepping into adulthood at 30 and that's yeah. where I, I think that's where the mental apex hits because that's where your strides start going mm-hmm. exactly yeah yeah, I feel like society makes you feel like it should happen earlier, right? Like you're expected at like 25 or 27. That's when you're supposed to have everything figured out and your major accomplishments. But I think it, it does come at that right age in kind of 30s, mid 30s. And I think that mm-hmm. that's interesting in this film that kind of seems to be his age too. So kind of reaffirms that that feeling like, okay, it's okay to be still struggling, still facing failures while you're in your 20s. I think it's an inspiring uh, thing to remember. As a millennial, yeah, I, I concur. <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah. As a as a as a as a as a corporate hating liberal goddamn millennial non-working target. <laughs> all the stereotypes, all the new age hipster hippie sons of bitches get a job. <laughs> and that, that, I have three of them, and I still can't afford rent. You asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good one, good one, and and yeah, that that that, now that you mentioned that also is yet another important message from the film, which is to follow your passion, follow your calling, because you know how how Adonis basically quits his job as a you know his office job, even after he got a promotion, he quit. Like yes, he got a promotion, and he'll I'm sure he'll get a lot of money, but it's not what he wants. It's not what you love. It's you should do it's not it's not success and happiness are not the same thing you need to have to work together in order for it to happen like this your happiness your success comes from happiness not the other way around like exactly because what what we're doing right here i'm enjoying this 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 is what i always want to do because even i'm not consistent with my podcast because I'm so busy working on music, but I need to be more consistent with the podcast because I enjoy having these conversations. And somebody today was like, do you get paid from that? And I was like, does it matter? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Find yeah. someone who gets does it. it. Does it matter? Yeah. Some things are, are worth more than the, the financial uh, reward, right? Like it's just something in your in your heart. You have to, you have to do it. And I think, yeah, you have to kind of follow that, I think. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Finally, some people who actually get it. Like it's not about the money. Like, Secret yeah. of life, man. Love what you do first, and then mm-hmm. the money shall come. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's your headline for today. Yes. <laughs> now, next up, I'll say now Wakanda forever. Then, if, as create and like. <laughs> Like Wakanda forever. Like if with Ryan Coogler just keeps getting, he's that filmmaker who every time he makes a film, it just keeps getting better and better. He keeps one-upping himself. And three years later, Black Panther. This is, I think, to me, his magnum opus. Black Panther. It succeeds not just as a Marvel movie, not as a superhero movie, but just as a movie movie, just a film that appeals to everyone. Like. 
like rewatching it, you don't need to be a fan of the MCU or watch all the films, the previous Marvel films, to truly appreciate Black Panther. This is wow, one of the best films of the past decade, and and one of the best films in the MCU. In fact, coming out in 2018, there are some people who say Black Panther is more better than Infinity War. Um, can you guys attest it, to that? It, it, out, it outgrossed Infinity War for the first weekend, and they still don't like that fact. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the highest grossing Marvel film for a while. It's my favorite Marvel film. I think it's the best Marvel film. In terms of, there's there's video there's videos on YouTube about it. I mean, there's one in particular where the guy, I think it's a Just Right. He's a YouTube channel called Just Right, and he went over like every single thing that the movie improved on from previous Marvel films. Like everything that this movie improved on: the villain, the music, like the story, like everything. Oh my God, Emmanuel, you know I'm containing myself so much right now because you you know the conversations we had. (laughs) Yes. I, I, I gotta contain myself right now. I gotta, I gotta wait. I gotta wait. Yeah, it's just so good. Like everything about the film is, I couldn't find a single flaw in it. It's just really good. It's perfect. That's right. Yeah, like Black Panther. It it may not be the first black led superhero film. That title goes to Blade, and also and later, not, well, not not a film. It's a TV show about Luke Cage. But Black Panther has got to be like the most game-changing film because it's culturally significant is what I keep hearing. It's It gave African-Americans a voice, it pro- a voice to those to those working behind, in front of and behind the camera. It, it, it's yes. really outstanding. It cannot be understated at all or even overstated that it's, this film came out already three years ago and it already changed cinema forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the film itself. Once again, that nuance, that 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 good old black nuance, that is so is so underrepresented that you would almost think that you know, oh my God, black people are from another planet. Had, had nobody told you the nu- the nuance itself, and I mean, just the the way that the film highlights eloquence of culture but also the dysfunction of colonialism mm-hmm. and how it's caused dysfunction amongst you know overseas from from overseas to domestic how it has caused destabilization and i i, I just you know i don't want to i don't want to go too deep because i don't know how you want to do this but the thing about the thing i wanted to just highlight is that ryan really knew how to write a story about effectively a, a foundational black American with African roots being left for granted by 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 Africa, which is a sentiment of a lot of people, because me and Emmanuel had these conversations. This, once again, nuance, because me and Emmanuel can go into that a little deeper about yeah. that, that, that divide amongst, you know, people from the continent and people born here. And because, you know, I, I'm, I'm foundational black American and my family is um, the descendants of slaves, but the understanding of having that black um, connection of our brothers and sisters across the continent, we try to reach out and then it's nothing there. And I think Ryan was able to highlight that and then show how Chitala, uh, how Chitala saw the flaw in that, saw, saw the, 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 uh, the error within being isolationist like that. Because Killmonger 
hate it or love it, he was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And that's what the film. That's what the film gets at. That he was right. And that's why T'Challa. The film is about T'Challa changing his mind because you see. That's why this film has cultural significance because you're seeing the plight of black people around the world, particularly in the U.S. And then you see having you have an advanced African nation that could have changed that, that could have done something about it, but they chose not to. Yes, so that's bringing a light to black people struggle in this country, but it's also bringing a light to you know. There needs to be there needs to be a a, a, a repairing of the relationship between African Americans and people from the continent because it's like it's just yeah they look there is some love there but it's, it could be so much better because there is some animosity there too on both sides and then it's it's colonial tribalism too yeah and it was it's 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 part of it is because of you know colonialism and slavery too how like. You know how how it was set up to, to you know colonialism slavery was set up to break apart the family to, you know to you know so that the the black family doesn't have any footing but then also with how this country set up you know we have this perception that you know you make it in this country and like you can be at the top and everything and then you have the stereotypes of black people so like when Tyreek and i were talking about how some african immigrants that come here and then they have this messed up idea of what well, black people in this country that's not true and so it's just, it's colonialism and how, how things are set up that have made way for those perceptions. And so there's a lot that needs to be fixed there in terms of relationship between uh, black Americans and African people from the continent. Absolutely. And that's what the film was talking about. Yeah. Which is, I, got, I got the continent tattooed on me. I mean, you know, that, that, you know I'll show it. I, I got it tattooed on me. <laughs> that's, that's you know, cool. that's amazing. That's you know, yeah, yeah. Every, you know. Egyptian iconography, everything, you know, and that, and and the way the way Ryan was able to showcase the beauty of the continent mm-hmm. without it being in in mud huts, as people like to say, because he showed you what the real African continent looks like. Like exactly. he showed you what it really looks like, not necessarily the advanced technology, right? That that's that's actually a garnish. But the, the, the societal standpoint of it, because I've dated many women from different uh, African countries, and I remember them, you know, just kind of highlighting to me like, well, you know, I don't live in the mud. I said, I know you don't live in the mud. I know that. But and she was like, but many people, but I, they will tell me many people don't. I said, that's because of ignorance. Just like when y'all come over here, they tell y'all that we gangsters, gangbangers and, and, and thugs. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't associate with the black Americans. They don't want to work. And most of the people I see around me working are black people in my community alone. So Ryan showed you, he showed you the beauty of our people all over there and over here. He showed you the beauty of our people because even Chadwick Boseman, um, RIP to the, to the brethren, he said that, um, he said, if you actually watch the movie, Tatala is actually the bad guy. Because, because, and I, and I want you, I want you guys to pay attention. Killmonger is a monster that I am, Emmanuel could possibly be, because we were raised here. And Killmonger was basically, because remember what did Ross tell? He, he goes, is he one of ours? No, he's one of ours. You saw Ross yeah. poked his, he poked his chest out about that. Like, yeah, you, yeah. And you don't realize. He's a creation of both the, uh, Chitaka not bringing him back and then the American system exploiting him. 
Yeah, he's a, he's a system of both. I mean, he's a he's he's a product of both systems failing him. And it, and that, that and that's the beautiful part. Like I said, the nuance. It, it's so it's it's so much I can go into with with nuance alone. That's why I, that's yeah. why I was like, I'm potatoing myself right now. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was really good, man. It is and. And to your point, yeah, like Killmonger, he is one of the, if probably not the the, fir the first Marvel villain to actually do the impossible. He actually won the moral argument because, yes, he is a mass murderer, but he he has a point, you know, with the whole with Wakanda's isolationist policy, which he, even T'Challa admitted himself when he said, "All of you were wrong to turn your backs on the rest of the world," because they've been, which is true, they have isolated themselves from the world. They have become not ignorant, like they were aware of the problems that the people from outside, the African Americans from that are not from Wakanda have suffered, but yet they chose to do nothing about it. They chose to keep with their traditionalist principles in the hope that they can protect themselves from the world, which is, that's what Black Panther is, or rather Killmonger's story is. It's challenging tradition, tradition versus modernism. And his tears were not for, just because they turned their back on the world. You gotta understand, Eric is his cousin. You gotta understand, he's, I don't, like I said, once again, nuance. He's not just crying because they turned their backs on the world. Think about, this is his family that came to kill him because he's like, because you remember what he asked, um, uh, of course, what his character, um, uh, uh, Zuri. 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 Remember what he asked him? He says, and the boy, like, the t you saw the tear drop when he, and whatever. He goes, we left him to keep the alive. To, to keep the lie up. And I was like, even in that moment, you're like, damn. Oh, oh God. That that was a fumble. Like, because even Chitala knew, he was like, that was not the thing to do. Even if the boy was not born of Wakandan blood, like through and through, he is still, he is still of our family. And you decided to leave him behind because it was easier to sweep your dirt on the rug and Chitaka was was wrong for that. And Tijaka was mad for a reason. Oh well, well Killmonger, my bad. I'm Yeah, that that's his that's that's his given name, sorry. Thanks. Yeah, it goes back to the sins of the father, like how mm. T'Challa has to make up for what the mistakes that his father made. Exactly. And that, if you look at it, that's a lot of, that's in a lot of story. There's a lot in the comic books and mythological stories too. I mean, even look at Star Wars, the, oh, sin, yeah. the sins of Darth Vader, how the, the, the progeny have to restore what, what, what was damaged. Mm -hmm. so, it, go, it goes back to Greek mythology, man. The, 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 the son shall eat the, shall, shall eat the father. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, the son, he inherits his father's problems. In fact, Ryan Coogler even went on to mention that had Eric been raised by his family, this wouldn't have happened. He would have been a much, much different person. Exactly. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there is like an alternate um, version of Eric who is um, Chitala's counselor in, in one of the comics, if I'm not mistaken. Like, um, like it's it's an alternate version of Eric. He's now he does wind up being bad for a story's sake, but he's like he's he's like a counselor to T'Challa. Instead of being Killmonger, he's just he's just a, a counselor to him. And I mean, even playing with that idea, you know, it's it, it's like that. What if 
and somebody and somebody did a story. Uh, he said this is what Africa would have been like had colonialism not touched it as well. Yeah, that's that's how they approach Wakanda, mm-hmm. and that was really cool. And how you see in the production design and everything, that's really what they were going for. And and, yeah. the, rep- and the representation of the whole continent in one country, because yeah. if you recognize the five tribes represent big swaths. Of, of of people from across the diaspora, and I love that pers- that 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 concept, you know, especially with Nakia and the River Tribe being um, based off Nigerian, um, the uh, the Nigerian tribe, and uh, and the uh, Jabari are based off. I think um, was it uh, it wasn't Igbo. It was two other tribes, and then because even some of the words that they spoke, I was like, and somebody they was like, oh, that's um, those are Igbo words. I was like, oh, word, like not even like even the dialect was different, but I was like, it makes sense because, like I said, nuance. If you've been around black people in in varying forms, even here in Houston, like we have one of the biggest African communities in the states, one of the biggest. I, I mean, I think outside of Brazil, maybe. Like yeah, and here you, if you know Angolans, uh, Angolans are rowdy. Which I would, it would have been made more sense to make the Jabari based off the Angolans, but uh, Nigerians a lot that I know that are that are born here that are rowdy act like <laughs> act, act like um, Mbaku. Yeah, definitely <laughs> like <laughs> so boisterous and so like in your face. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And, and that's the beauty in, in, like I said, in nuance. And Ryan brought that. Like, I mean, I don't, man, Emmanuel. I, I mean, come on, bro. I mean, even like I remember talking to my brother about it. Even like when Nakia wasn't wearing shoes when she was driving. Like my yeah. brother remembered that my mom did that when they were kids. Like she would drive without shoes. <laughs> it's just so many things that, like, like you said, the nuances that uh, Ron Kugel was able to pick up on for black and African people, for black people, African mm-hmm. and born here. Which well, you me. know, you know, he traveled because uh, he got the job for Black Panther in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah, and, uh, he, he, you know, because they, they they were scouting for him in 2015. But I think he got he officially landed in sixteen. He traveled to the continent to learn different things. He said, "Yo, this is stuff that we do in America." And I remember I told Emmanuel, I said, "There's a lot of traditions that we do as Black Americans that are very much from across the diaspora that we can't explain, like smacking yep. your teeth. That is a sign of disrespect." And um, I know in um, Senegal, if you if you smack your teeth, it's like saying "f you." If you um, or if you uh, or pouring out libations for the dead, that I think that's uh, Cameroonian. Or uh, yeah, Indian. I think you said it was Cameroon. Yeah, yeah. So these and these are things that we do here in our culture that is in the DNA of us. And Ryan was able to capture that in a way where it's like all the nuance from here because he traveled and he said, you know, all the men are outside talking, barbe- you know, barbecuing while the women are inside cooking, and he said this is the, it's like coming home, like and. It shows that we are more alike than we are different as black Americans and as Africans because even Killmonger, you saw the pain in his eyes when they were, when they had the fight. He goes, I kill people in um, uh, in Iraq, Russia, uh, well not Russia, but he, he named all these countries and then he was like, even, he said, I even killed here on this continent. And when he made that, and you, he was like, I had to kill people, my own brothers and sisters here on this very continent. It, you could see it ate him up because Njobu left him a creed and code about how you deal with 
you know, like like basically it's like getting your history secondhand, which is what we deal with. I got to learn about Shaka Zulu through a lens of defeat because he had to be tricked. I have to learn about Denmark VC, Frederick Douglass. I have to learn about these people through lenses of being subjugated and overcoming and that that will breed a certain level of, of animosity with you when you're talking to someone when you're talking to someone who doesn't understand it. And Chitala, he can sympathize, but he can only really empathize because he's like, well, whatever, I'm still Wakandan. And the thing about that perspective, like I said, nuance within that is amongst black people in the diaspora from here and, and, and over is that black Americans typically get told that we don't have a, um, we don't have a tribe. We don't have a language. We don't have a history, but we do. Everything in America is our history. Everything that you see specifically here in the States, it, there's not one thing that, that is done that I can, that, that is not black oriented under the surface. Everything. And I, I, I'm FBA, Emmanuel may, may be Nigerian American, but that's still my brethren. And every, that's how I address them, as my brethren, all the time. You know, and, and, and I mean, and, and I'm getting emotional about it because this movie did serve as a as a as proof that you can have black people in the movie and it does make money regardless of if black people are going going to see it or not because we're going to go see it but it wasn't just us that went to see it everybody wanted to see it exactly. and a lot of and a lot of racist comic book nerds which me and Emmanuel have talked about these racist yeah. comic book nerds hide behind oh it's not really as good as it, as it, as, as, as people say it is and as a detraction just so they can be anti but then they say well I'm not racist I'm just being critical but you're not really being critical you're just being an asshole because you don't want to see things change they said the same thing about Luke Cage hey newsflash can I can I get close to the mic and say this um I don't remember Daredevil crashing Netflix yeah sorry not sorry <laughs> everybody like Luke Cage was a sensation mm-hmm. like everybody wanted to see that film exactly. I mean that show win lose a draw it, it crashed Netflix. I don't remember Daredevil, Jessica Jones, or Finn Jones. <laughs> that's right. Like that's. I think that is probably one of the the biggest strengths from Black Panther. Like it really did a great job of it appealed to well everybody, not just black people, but both black and non-black MCU fans and non-MCU fans. This was it was a movie just for everybody. It really succeeded in delivering nuanced portrayals of black culture, which brings me to another point, which is Wakanda itself. Like like you mentioned before, Rico, how Ryan Coogler succeeds at making the, the locations of the film characters in their own right. Like Wakanda, like I know there are many places in the MCU, like we have Asgard, Kamertash, but if there's one place I wish I'd love to visit would be Wakanda, because have you seen it? It's it's beautiful. It's so vibrant, so vivid, and it's it's actually even though it's fictional, it it's inspired by actual you know African cultures and tribes like the Ndebala of South Africa or the Musai tribe of Kenya and Tanzania. Yeah. It's really a sight to behold, something beautiful to witness. Yeah, it is. Yeah, if I... Oh, sorry. Sorry, man. No, I was just going to say, like, this this film is really a love letter to Africa. Um, that's the intention. Like, from the costume, from the costume design to, like, oh the color palette, 
the production design, everything was just to celebrate Africa. That's that's really what it was for. Yeah, and one, one point I was going to make, I, I don't know if I'm off here, but I think um, the the location of, of Wakanda is supposed to be kind of between four uh, countries, right? Like it's supposed to it's supposed to be like on a lake, on a real life lake. Um, between, I think, uh, Ethiopia, South Sudan, Uganda, and Kenya, I believe. So it's sort of, it, it's maybe, with the, with the choice there, was it sort of trying to, I don't know, uh, as far as how wide-reaching that would be, like being between those four countries, but it's sort of, not the most central point, but sort of uh, maybe the set central point between, like, distinct cultural boundaries, maybe, within Africa, or... How, how would you think the choice of it being like there was, was there, what would be like the, the reasoning behind that choice of the lake? You want to go ahead, Manuel? Uh, I think that was chosen because they wanted to pick somewhere that was, I guess, I think Sub-Saharan Africa was another thing that they wanted to pinpoint. They wanted it somewhere to be like, because they wanted it to be like, they probably wanted it to be where, you know, people perception would be like, oh, this, this cannot be an advanced nation. Like, it has to be in like a backwater, Africa, or whatever. And so I think that's why they put it there. I think in the, I think in the comic books, the location is a little different. I think they put it a little bit different than the movie. But I think in the movie they did, they chose that so it can be, it could further help the illusion of, you know, there's no way this place could be there. Well, and, also, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm done. Oh, oh no, man! It, it was also um, if you know anything about um, uh, when um, Belgium was trying to get a foothold in Africa, uh, the Congo is what it is really like. When you talk about location-wise and how they centered it, uh, where it's at now, it's not based off the Congo, but it's based off how the Congo couldn't be penetrated for a long time. And once um, I forgot the, the son of a bitch's name, the second Leopold II. Once he got in and did that massacre, he killed 60 million Africans in uh, Congolese people um, in that in that area. It also it's, it's that it represents that like because it's vast jungles in the Congo. It's very vast, and then also um, if you know about the Berlin Compromise when they broke Africa up, and then all these tribes were splintered, and you and which comes into. Um, uh, it comes to the identity uh, politics of different tribes having beef, but they're cousins and sister tribes. But now one tribe speaks French and the other tribe speaks Portuguese now. Yeah. You know, like they basically it's still the same tribe, but now it's been two or three generations and the people see each other as different now because now the cultures have diverged and now yeah. they're, they're, they're battling over the, these territories. Um, the same thing happened in uh, South Africa as well. Like, I, I can, I can pick and, and Rwanda, and Rwanda, and Rwanda like, yes. Colonization, like, this is the strategy they have. Like, it's almost like a divide and conquer. Like, you you take over these African people, and then you introduce these different languages, and then you, you set up these class systems, these different classes and bourgeoisie, poor, whatever, so that they can, there can be continued infighting, so that yeah. they, they don't get together. And, and, the, and the five tribes represent that perspective of, okay, instead of colonialism, uh, vibranium comes down and now these five tribes are beefing, but they're like, whoa, hey, let's go ahead and just settle this for ourselves. We gonna, we're, we're all Wakandans now, but we're still gonna be tribes within it. It's the same thing as um, uh, here in America, like I'm from Third Ward, 
Manuel's from uh, the Southwest Side, and or SWAT, as they call it out here. <laughs> and it's, it's it's the same thing like that. Like it, it, uh, even I don't know if Ryan Coogler did that on purpose, but the way he set it up was so beautiful with how every single tribe represents a big swath of the diaspora. And mm-hmm. what if it's like a what if the Berlin Compromise went in reverse and all those different swaths became one unit. And then when they became one unit, they came together in Wakanda as well. So that, like I said, it, it's it's so much nuance within it. It's like we'll, we'll be having a, a damn micro study, and a micro and macro study of just the the um, the eco the uh, what is it the entomology of Wakanda itself because it's I think it's one of the few places that's fictional that is plausible or was plausible or still is plausible exactly in a lot of cases uh, and yeah. something. Else, I I think we should all talk talk about Black Panther that really made it stand out. Two words: the ladies. Because in most yeah. in most films, superhero films or action films, the they don't give much attention to female characters, especially black female characters who are often you know st- you know stereotyped as being very very loud, abrasive, overly dependent, and always rely on a man to save the day. But with Black Panther, no more that, no more. Like the female supporting characters are Nakia, uh, Shuri, and Okoye, or if you count the Dora Milaje, like the Dora Milaje, they are su- such they really hold their own they're all they all contribute to the story and are all very brave very brave strong and completely independent really and they like nakia she they basically save the monarchy they save the all of wakanda and they deserve all the credit they are like the unsung heroes of this film and they're really characters that we of all genders can look up to and the best part is that these female characters never, not once, their sexuality, their gender is never called into question. They're all treated with respect and equality as they should be. Yeah, this yeah. film was, yeah. Oh, we're gonna say Rico. I was just saying, uh, Wakabi, uh, the line he asked, um, Okoye, would you kill me, my love? <laughs> that, that stood out to me because he was like, like, would you kill me? And I was like, and she, and she was like, for Wakanda without question and I'm like you might want to put you might want to put your sight down man because she's gonna kill you and 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 he and even he understood this is the most fierce warrior amongst the Wakanda mm-hmm. outside of Chitala himself I might want to chill and this is his wife too which you know if, if you if you dated any African women and man well you know um, how African women get down you ain't, you ain't about to win that fight you might as well go ahead and, you might as well go ahead and sit down yeah, definitely. But yeah, the film was revolutionary because it had predominantly black cast and, and women in predominant prominent roles, and a big black blockbuster film, which is unheard of. And mm-hmm. so that's why this movie is like a revolutionary movie. Absolutely. And yeah. 1.8 billion. Yep. Mm. Yes, don't forget that. And and I really, like, after watching this film, all I could think of was that these two things, like, Eric was right, but T'Challa was not wrong. And what I love, again, the nuance, the nuances of what I keep hearing over and over again when I keep watching this film, because 
and also the bonus points to the post credit scene like in, in the post credit scene you know where T'Challa is in the United Nations he says that I T'Challa son of T'Chaka like it really that nice attention to detail because it shows no matter even though he was disappointed heartbroken by all his father has done he still considers him his father to be a part of him which again Ryan Coogler is really good at showing that the paternal dynamic relationship so kudos to that yeah definitely I think Ryan really did highlight that father-son dynamic with uh, several characters actually because um even you know even even on a on a roundabout like even um a mother daughter situation with um with how Nakia and Shuri address Queen Mother, even though she's the queen, it's still a certain level of she's not just looking at Nakia as, oh, just because you date my husband or just because I mean you just because you date my son, I'm gonna you know, I'm 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 showing leniency to you. It seems like she gives that off she gives off that energy, period. And then the fact that Eric, when he went into the ancestral plane and he winded up back in Oakland and being and I, I think this this was the part where I kind of teared up outside of um, Eric dying, which I, I I did not like that, but okay. Um, when Eric he, when 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 Jobu asked him no tears for me, and I was like shit, man, like that that that's a real perspective of a father trying to get through to his child, specifically his son, and it's like he was like, I try I tried my best with you, but. The thing about revolutionary fighters, which Njobu was, you can't, you can't, you can't, um, you can't fight him for that. Njobu tried to give, kill, so he tried to give Eric the perspective of it's okay to fight, especially if it's for the right cause. But it got warped and twisted because he said, "I caught, I saw my dad with panther claws in." See, had Njobu died due to you know, police violence. I'm not saying it would have been better, but Eric Killmonger would have been a different person. Mm-hmm. Same same goal, same tactics, same everything, same child of Njobu, but getting back home to get those Wakanda weapons would have been different. Mm-hmm. He would have been he would have, he would have had a different perspective. But because his uncle killed his father, it's like it's almost like Hamlet, like what, what I gotta respect you for. Yeah, it's very Shakespearean if you think about it. Yeah, um, like and it's uh, you have the same in Shakespeare plays. I mean, look at Hamlet or um, what's another one? I think the King Henry series and things like that. You always have this fight for the within a family for a throne or something like that. That's right. Yeah, that's kind of adds a like literary or poignant feel to it, but um. But yeah, like the fact that, like Tyree was saying, the fact that it could have been different if there was police violence, he would not probably would not have hated his his Wakandan's siblings that much. But because that his uncle killed his um his father, it's like you have that reason, you have that that Hamlet like reason to get revenge. And I think the drive is stronger too because of yeah, exactly. yeah, definitely. And and also. 
extra things to say about that scene where uh, Killmonger Eric is in the, the ancestral plane, like he, how he reverts back to his child self while he's talking to his father, and the and the fact and he, how he's in tears. Like first off, Michael B. Jordan delivers a fantastic performance. That he's not he's not just a villain. He's just a human being with flaws and conflict of his own. Like beneath all that grit, that anger, he's just. Despite being the villain, deep down he's just a child who just misses his father. And when when Killmonger died towards the end, looking at the sunrise sunset in Wakanda, like most films, when the villain dies, it's like a moment of triumph for victory for the heroes. But here, the villain's death is treated as more somber, as in a more tragic way. Like alas, poor villain. Like sympathy for the devil. Well, in this case, oh, we're gonna say. No, 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 go, 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 go. In this case, it makes sense because, like, he was a victim of circumstances that they brought on. So it's like it's kind of their fault this happened, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And then um, it's kind of sad how, like, we're going back to the afterlife when he saw his father. How he said, "No tears for me." He's like, you see how cold he's become. Like he just, oh, people die all the time. Uh, whatever. It just he, the anger was just so much, and the circumstances were so bad that. We, when he saw his father in the afterlife, it had no impact on him or it didn't have as much, you know, resonance. And so that's just how hard, like, when somebody's been wronged all their life, when they go into revolutions or fights like that, you know, and they've been through tragedy, it just it can harden their hearts. It can make them cold and like, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what adds, that kind of what sadly adds to his, his villainy too, if you think about it. That's true. And, and, and he, and, when he when he died and he said, um, "I don't heal me," he says, "Throw me in the ocean with my ancestors," because they knew subjugation was better. They, they they knew death was better than subjugation. That because I don't I think people forget uh, Eric uh, had an American mother, a, a black American mother, and that right there is nuanced within itself, and which which adds levity to his character of why he's angry too because like I said going back to that perspective of me being a black American and having that talk with um, start with people from the continent and that disconnect but I'm like telling them about all the stuff that we go through and I and I get the oh you don't work hard enough but I'm like or I get the oh you niggas are lazy and I'm like that is not because I've had these conversations and not 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 a, not a lot lately because you know, we're getting on cold with how we do certain things, but those conversations have happened, and it does not neg- it does not negate anything foul or bad said the other way either. It's just we want to learn from our brothers and sisters that come from there. We we want to know because we we get everything secondhand, which is why you know being instilled with that pride of loving your community, it's like Eric was made he, he he the monster wasn't created by the CIA per se, but it was cultivated. Yeah. It, you know, so Eric Eric had already established like, okay, since Wakanda abandoned me here, it, it's almost like the story that every com- black comedian said, he said, How you gonna be African calling me, you know, a, a ancient Negro and nobody came for us. <laughs> now uh, Paul Mooney has a joke, an infamous joke. He says, "Not one canoe pulled up to come get their people back," and that's basically what Eric felt. Yeah. Not, not one mothership. 
Exactly, yeah. And also, another for more attention to detail, like, even after Eric... Uh, notice how after Eric dies, uh, T'Challa, like, forms his arms in an X-way form, like Wakanda. Like, he's acknowledging him as a, a member of of the family, a citizen of Wakanda, despite him being an outsider. It shows how how far T'Challa has gone, how he has moved past from his father's mistakes and just forget about tradition. This is now the reality of things. Like, And even though he was the, the villain and tried to kill him like twice, T'Challa still, like, he followed his message of opening Wakanda to the rest of the world, but in a more peaceful manner really respected his cousin's wishes like at the end of the day they may be enemies but deep down they're, they're family they're cousins yeah 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 and that's the only way that the country can move forward i mean if yes you can't repeat this mistake of the path or you're going to keep creating more enemies you're going to keep creating the same problems i mean more, civil war more, more killmongers mm, yeah exactly so you gotta you gotta and that's kind of what and then that's that can be almost universal too to any country or any a group of people were like, if you want to progress as a nation, you have to fess up to the past. You have to fess up to the past of your country, especially with America, with the past of slavery. You know, you have to fess up to it if you it want. Happened, it happened to Russia. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, when the great czar, um, I think it was in 1914, or I think like, it was around that time when the when the great czar, that family fell. It was due to you know. An over, like I think a bunch a bunch of children that were love children also like not getting what was rightfully theirs and then the people starving out I mean it, it just it bred that 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 descent and then also um just Ryan Coogler did such a good job of like he does it self-aggrandize as a as a director no mm -hmm. like as much as I love Tarantino um one of my one yeah. of my favorites Ryan knows how to take himself out the film by making the film itself um, departure from him. Like I said, it's almost like he's like he's watching it with you. It's like it's like you know it's like the the great adventure. He grabs you and he takes you. It's like Aladdin. I'm about to show you a whole new world, and I'm just gonna let you rock, come along with me for the ride. Even though I'm filming this, and it's some of my aesthetics are in it. It's really, I'm giving the film itself its own character because everything itself has to be a character drawn out. And I, I, want, I want to bring that back to Ryan Coogler. Like, it's hard to talk about um, Ryan Coogler as an individual when he is so selfless with, with the film, with, with all of his films. He's, he's so selfless with what he puts into it that you're like, I see Ryan Coogler in this because I don't see Ryan Coogler in this. Yeah, that makes any sense. Yeah, there's no like, there's no shots that are gratuitous or like mm -hmm. that are just there for the, for the director. I mean, a lot of times directors, yeah, it tells a story, but then like certain like like Tarantino, like the trunk shots. I mean, that that's a, that's a trademark, but does that really need to be a movie? Like <laughs> the, the, the beat shots, man, or the beat shots, or things like that. Like, that's true. Yeah, and yeah, or or look at Jaws Whedon with his. People oh. jumping on top of women and the shots of women in the back. So like, so yeah. So yeah. So Ryan Coogler, he's a very um, objective director. Like, it's just all about what tells the story the best. Absolutely. It's about, really, it's about the art over yeah. the um, the aesthetic. If that makes any sense. Exactly. Yeah. 
and as a further testament to how Ryan Coogler knocked Black Panther out of the park, Black Panther is the first superhero comic book film to receive a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. True, it might not have won the, the award, but the fact it was nominated, it showed Ryan Coogler was being recognized and so was this film as well and it and that film would only continue that streak would continue next year with 2019's Joker which also got a best picture nom like this time this is really the time for comic book movies a great track record for them yeah. especially in the last year too with Logan receiving a best screenplay nomination just yes. Wow. Yes. yes. The pendulum is moving. Like, their comic movies are slowly getting their recognition. Mm, this is just. They've been good for, like, yeah, they've been good since the original Superman, but nobody really. Academy never really cared for them, but. Because the Academy looked at superhero films almost like, uh, like pulp, um, like pulp, um, films. They, they, they looked at them as, um, as, uh, what is it? But what are, like, the most old. Basically, pulp films from, like, the. Yeah, like, mm. like, like, uh, Mass media type stuff, like stuff yeah. that like mm. that don't have any artistic value to them. Or well, they're like wrong. And, they're so and, wrong. And can we can we highlight the fact that um, Ryan and allow Andy Circus to be great? <laughs> can, can we just like I mean, just eat as, as small time as he had in the film? I really enjoy Andy Circus's portrayal of Claw. Like mm. I was like, dude, and I, I hate that they had to kill him, but I, it's like. You know, it's the dilemma. It's like the Luke Cage dilemma. Like, do you kill off one to spite the other? But then you realize the purpose of killing him was to serve as a bargaining chip too. So it's like you, you do it. But the time that Andy Circus is not mo-capping, but he's just hamming it up, chewing through the, the, the scenery. Right. You, I loved every single bit of it. He was yeah, amazing. He's a, great, yeah. he's a great villain. Yeah. Yes. Like, so, I, I would have watched a Wakanda series like of, of Ulysses as Claude just being a pirate oh, I would watch that I, I would, would I would watch that 100% non-stop just just yeah. make him making quips like even if he's making racially undertone jokes I, I need him to like because they're kind of going to do that with Loki with him being bounced around like you know like he's going to get he's going to be getting his ass kicked every which way because he's not really that great of a fighter I would have loved to see Claw almost like like the mask like he's He's getting beat up all the time, making these messed up jokes, but you're enjoying it because he's hamming it up so good. Yeah. yeah, and also about the for Ryan Coogler's next film, which is Black Panther 2. Like, first off, really, I really great, smart decision for them to, you know, out of respect for Chadwick Boseman to not recast the role, because the role of T'Challa, the Black Panther, is so iconic. I just... There are so many, many good actors there, but I just feel like Chadwick Boseman really delivered a fantastic performance. I don't, I don't see anyone else replacing the character. Like, yeah, it's uh, hard because it's like I disagree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there are people that could do it, but it's just you know, I don't think I think people don't want to, and I think Angela Bassett, no, uh, what's his name, um, the guy that played. Uh, uh, what's that guy? The guy Lenny and um, Walking Dead, um, black British actor. He said like he didn't. He was afraid that might be disrespectful if they recast it. So I think there's that sentiment that's out there. And I mean, right now there's a petition called recast uh, recast Charlotte. If you 
YouTubers I watch, their their uh, E-Man's uh, movie reviews. He he put up a petition for it, and and I, I and after he explained it, I understood his point of them recasting Shazali, which I think they should because they need to. Well, I'm torn. I'm be honest with you, I am torn because like like you said, you you don't want to erase what Chadwick brought to because I've been following Chadwick since I was in high school and I, I cried. Deep. Yeah. Like when he when I found got the news, man, I I was on the phone with, my, with one of my good friends, and I just I was like, yeah, I gotta I gotta go, bro. I I broke down because I've been following this brother for years before he was in the public eye. I mean, back when he was on Fringe, I was you know I, I was following him back then, and I, I me saying that I think they should recast is only because it, it's one reason why I would say they they should recast. It's because there's so much story that Chitala has. And I know rewriting rewriting could be easy by them just, you know, changing the mantle. But at the same time, I'm like, it's it's so much. Like, now that they're about to introduce the X-Men, thank God, um, the, the, the story with him and Storm, I wish that could happen. Like that, Because Nakia turned, turned bad on him, and then he winds up with Storm. But I know they're going to find a, a, re, a, a workaround um, they're not going to kill him on screen. On screen, I know that much. But if they do continue to go ahead and not recast him, I just want them to be able to hold the context of the character of the the Black Panther character to its core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. And with... uh, it, was, it, was, it was Lenny James that said that the British actor mm-hmm. who said that. I forgot which role he plays on Walking Dead, but Lenny James. He said that yeah, it, should be it would be disrespectful if they um, recast it, but and I don't know. With, I was okay if they recast it, but I'm not. I'm not. I don't think I'm the, in the majority. And with that said, like Chadwick Boseman, he from his work in Black Panther, he really delivered in almost in every role he appeared in. Really, from in Marshall, in especially recently in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which was his last film. He was he really battled through his condition for five years and yeah, he was, he, yeah so he was he, he was, was diagnosed in 2016 mm-hmm. and was, yeah it's just terrible was, like, yeah great actor I, yeah i've watched him since get on up i loved him and get on up as oh my now. god man he, he was awesome <laughs> he, he he embodied that role so good you, you you like there's very few actors that can play um iconic figures and almost to a degree you don't even see the actor anymore and exactly. and, and because um i'm familiar with james brown as a musician um the way that that he talked that is exactly how james brown talked yeah. yeah make sure we get everything yeah yeah you know uh, i don't want to have to worry about it james brown ain't gonna worry about it like, that is exactly yeah. like that diction and that rapid fire uh way of talking is is exactly how james talked and there's only been a few actors that've been able to do it. Uh, Denzel with um, with Malcolm, um, uh, Jamie Foxx, Jamie Foxx with Ray, yeah. Uh, Angela Bassett with Tina Turner. I mean, th- there's only been a few actors that've been able to engulf themselves in the role to the to the point where you almost like thought the real person came out of them, mm-hmm. and, that, and that, that's not an imitation. That is an articulation of the of the person and the actual embodiment of them. Like me, I, I, I can imitate uh, James Brown. I can do a, an impression of James Brown, but I can never embody James Brown. Like that, that that's a whole nother level of 
of talent. Of course, definitely. And with that said, I was hoping we could just just bow, like bow our heads in respect and take a few moments of silence to honor the great king himself, Chadwick Boseman. And now, rest in power, Chadwick Boseman. Gone, but never forgotten. Long live the And thank you. And I, I wish we could continue this longer, but I have to. My, I have to help my mom in a few, in a few things. So, with all, so thank you so much, Emmanuel and Rico, for showing up here. Thank you all. Like, I really, I really wanted to save this episode to talking about Ryan Coogler with with you guys. Like, you are huge fans of his work, and Ryan Coogler, like, he is one of the best filmmakers working today, black or not. But his films are very, very full. He in person, Ryan Coogler is shy and introverted, but his films are full of charisma and wittiness. Like, he he has given. African Americans a voice like he sh- sh- shined a light on overlooked cultures, namely African Americans. And wherever he goes from here, I think we can all agree we are looking forward to what he has next in store. And he's arguably one of the best black filmmakers working today, along with others like Spike Lee, Barry Jenkins, and of course Jordan Peele. Yay, yeah. my man! Oh yeah. Yeah, Jordan Peele, he's a master. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's really good. Definitely. And that is all the time we have left for today's episode. Thank you, Rico, and thank you, Emmanuel. Let's give it up to our boys in Texas. Let's go. Glad to be here. Glad to have you guys as well. And this has been Sin City, live for CMRU.ca and live for Texas. I'm Nick Manessis. I'm Dave McLean. Thank you, Rico T. Allen and Emmanuel Akinola for joining us again. Uh, number 10 for Emmanuel and number two, I believe, for Rico, right? Yeah, number two. So many more in store. Mm-hmm. Hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend and we'll see you next week.